Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. God, we praise you and we thank you. Ask you to uh, draw us unto yourself. Bring us into the manifestation of these wonderful provisions that you have. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we know we're headed that way. And this is going to be a great week, too. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to continue with Protection and Provision for the Man-Child and Bride, number three. And um, the Man-Child Escapes is our first revelation here, synonymous, uh, from 2021. I had a dream where I was watching in third person a young man who had blonde hair and blue eyes. I believe that this man represents the corporate man-child ministry who is submitted to the Son, S-U-N slash S-O-N, with heavenly sight, blue eyes. Uh, the man stood in the lounge room of my Gramps. He was speaking the real good news to Gramps, and the Holy Spirit moved upon him, and he fell to his knees looking at the ground crying a godly cry and begging God for forgiveness and thanking Him for Jesus. He saw his sin and realized his desperate need for Jesus, and he called on our Lord with all of his heart, soul, and body. Amen. Well, this uh, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is coming with the man-child. It was made uh, known that he had surrendered his life to God, and I then saw gold and white sparkles all around Gramps. This blonde man knew in spirit that he had to quickly leave. He left Gramps there with the Lord and went to go walk out the door. I felt that Gramps was about to be taken up to heaven. And I believe this probably represents heavenly places in Christ, right? So taken up to heaven represents being born from above in order to return there and uh, given a new spirit to be a new creature in Christ. And John 1, 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace have you been saved, and raised us up with him, and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Well, just before he got to the door, he looked down the corridor to his left and he saw Gramps' wife standing there with a furious facial expression. It felt uh, that she had such hatred for him and wanted to kill him. Her eyes were red, meaning danger, violence, aggression, whatever, and the demons could be clearly seen in her. The man quickly went out the door as she chased after him, screaming at him in utter rage. You know, when you get saved, you're (laughs) contrary to the people you left behind, right? Uh, I watched this man run down the street, and every person came out of their houses to try and get him. Well, coming out of their houses and going after this man represents that they can no longer hold back the contempt that they have for God. They're no longer being restrained. So all the people had either green, meaning envy or jealousy, or red eyes, and the demons were clearly seen in them. They were all so angry and had such hatred. They were screaming and threatening. Some of the people had shovels, pitchforks, and others' items and acted as if they were ready to kill him. All these people represent those who are of the world with an antichrist spirit who hate the word and righteousness. And by the way, people are being proven to be this who are called Christians, too. There is a falling away, a Judas group. Uh, um and of course, these are like the factious. The factious are falling away, and they uh, they are Judases. So the apostate harlot church is represented here, and those with a Jezebel spirit and the beast. They are all used to persecute the saints of God in the Gospels, and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders plotted and sought to kill Jesus because of their jealousy. And Jesus told his disciples that that as they hated me, they will also hate you because of me. John fifteen eighteen through 25. And Luke 6 and 22, they give. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall ostracize you, and reproach, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And Revelation 17 and 6, And I saw the woman, that's the harlot, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with a great wonder. All of the people were acting like zombies, sort of like the zombies in the movie I Am Legend. And they were fast and had so much supernatural energy and they could smell that this man was close, and that how, and that's how they knew that he was there. Well, zombies represent all of the walking dead who are of the worldly beast. They are dead without eternal life because they do not believe in Christ. First John 3 and 14. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not uh, abideth in death. And in the harlot church, Revelation 3 and 1, 
I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and thou art dead. So the blind man was uh, super fast, and no one could catch him. Uh, He ran past them all, not looking to the left or the right or behind him. Well, Luke 4, 28 through 30 says, And they were all filled with wrath in the synagogue as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him forth out of the city and led him onto the brow of a hill whereon their city was built, that they might throw him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Yep, he's protected while he's speaking the truth. The man's presence felt pure, innocent, peaceful, and he was calm and gentle. I felt that he had compassion for everyone. I felt uh, bad for those that were against him, but he was so grateful to God for his grace. Amen. So the man-child body will manifest the complete nature of Christ in them and walking as he walked. I watched this man as he ran through the streets where the people came after him in anger, acting like zombies. The man ran to a street where no one was yet out in the streets. And when a woman came out of the front of her house, she was acting normal. And he spoke the the word to her, and she fell to the ground, praising and worshiping God and began thanking him for Jesus. I saw the same gold and white sparkles go around her, and I felt that she too was about to be taken to heaven. In other words, heavenly places in Christ. The man knew that he had to leave now, so he left, and not looking back as he knew he had done what God wanted him to do. He was done in this town. Well, the man-child ministry and the disciples of Christ will fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel from town to town. Amen. And Mark 1 and 38 says, And he saith unto them, Let us go elsewhere into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For to this end came I forth. And Matthew 10 and 23 But when they persecute you in this city, flee into the next. Amen. So multitudes of people all came out of their houses, chasing after him in anger. I was zoomed out so I could now see a larger area, and I saw thousands, maybe tens of thousands of peoples in different hordes, all chasing after this man, but none could catch up to him. John 7 and 30 says, They sought, therefore, to take him, but no man laid his hand on him, because his hour was not yet come. And John 10 and 39, They sought again to take him, and he went forth out of their hand. I saw the spots that the sanctified lady and Gramps were now just a little light in in a bubble. Apart from them, everything else was dark, with zombies all running. Obviously, God's children are 
protected in a bubble and seen as lights of glory in the spirit realm. And uh, Matthew 5 and 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. So true. Second Corinthians 4 and 6. Because it is God that said, Light shall shine out of darkness, who shined in our hearts uh, unto enlightenment of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ's face. Amen. That's the N-E-N-T version. The man ran out of this town and into another. And when going into town, he spoke to a few people about the Lord and then went into the center of the town. Uh, Luke 4.43 says, But he said unto them, I must preach the good tidings of the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For therefore was I sent. Mark 16 and 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Amen. And of course, it's going to be taken seriously, the Great Commission in these days, because we are running out of time and people are going to know it. So, on the front of a building, it had a wanted sign with a picture of what the man looked like in the previous town. But now he looked like a completely different person. He still had blonde hair and blue eyes, but his face and hairstyle looked different to how it was in the previous town. Well, that could be because people pass on a, an untrue picture of righteous people. And Colossians 3, 3 and 4 says, For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, then shall ye also with him be manifested in glory. But it seemed like his face would change every time he went into a new town. Well, it could be that the man-child is a corporate body of many brethren who are manifesting the life of Jesus in their own bodies. He will appear to be a different person every place these men minister the gospel. So people couldn't recognize him unless they heard what he said. This is true. Yeah. He can speak through many different bodies, and he will. Um, Matthew 15 and 17, he saith unto them, But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. The revelation comes from God. And all the wicked can't understand it. No one comes unto the Son except the Father draws, so they don't understand it. Luke, 18, Luke 8 and 8 says, And other seed fell on the good ground and grew and brought forth fruit a hundredfold. And he said these things. He cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Luke 10 and 16. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that rejecteth you, rejecteth me. And he that rejecteth me, rejecteth him that sent me. And it's going to be true in these days too, the same thing.
Father, thank you that you give wisdom to your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus. John 6 and 44. No man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. And John 14 and 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. It felt that everyone in the country knew about this man, and they were all trying to find him. And of course, he looks different everywhere you look, right? He went inside a public building packed with people. He spoke to one man about our Lord in front of everyone, and a few guys overheard and went and grabbed a security guard. The security guard arrested the man and took him upstairs and locked him in a room and called uh, federal police or something high up like that. Well, Acts 21 and 33, then the colonel uh, came near and laid hold on him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and inquired who he was and what he had done. Well, that's just like uh, the Romans did to Paul, you know. The guard left him alone in the room, but before he even finished closing the door, I saw the man walk through the wall on the other side and went out of the room and walked straight through the building out onto the, a balcony where he just jumped off. So he's kind of invincible when the Lord wants him to be that way, right? And when he's doing the will of God. The man-child corporate body will be uh, walking in the anointing of the latter rain and in the Spirit. They will be able to walk through solid substances like as Jesus passed through the midst of those trying to take him. And there will also be many translations out of harm's way. And we have examples in the, in the Bible of the angels setting the disciples free from prison by chains falling off of them and doors being unlocked before them uh, and open up before them. So we see that nothing can stop these people uh, when they're in the will of the Lord to do the work of God. No one even knew that he was gone like when an angel sprang Peter out of the prison before they could kill him. Yeah. He went on walking through the town, speaking to those he knew would listen. Soon there were groups of people again chasing after him, and he left the town. And we know Paul, the story of Paul, is he was chased from town to town, you know, uh, by the Judaizers. In Acts five nineteen through 20, But the Lord's angel by night opened the doors of the prison and brought them out, and said, Go ye and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And one came and reported that, Lo, the men whom you put in prison are in the temple standing and teaching the people. They couldn't stop it. They won't be able to stop it. The next town he came to, he didn't speak to anyone, but he walked through the city. Uh, my perspective then zoomed out, and I saw three missiles shoot and destroy this entire area 
where the man had been. It destroyed the buildings, and many people died. I saw the people in this country and uh, the reaction to everyone that had tried to kill him, and they were all cheering, and they were so happy, thinking, of course, that they had done away with him. Well, this is how they felt and, and reacted to the death of the two witnesses because they hated their righteousness and preaching the gospel. The world is going further and further to the left, folks, and uh, uh, righteousness and purity coming out in these days is going to be greatly opposed. Revelation 11, 3 through 12. Revelation 11 and uh, 10. And they that dwell on the earth rejoice over them and make merry, and they shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Yep, the convicting power was making them miserable. Then I saw the man appear in a bush in the middle of nowhere, and I felt that he had been translated to this area just in time for the missile to go off. And everyone else was convinced that he had died. And they were celebrating and stopped looking for him. The Lord will translate his people out of a nuclear blast and all kinds of destruction and troubles. And we have a Psalm 91 Passover, don't we? I personally have been translated like that. It's... um. It's awesome and instant. Acts eight thirty nine through 40. And when they came up out of the water, the Lord's Spirit caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, for he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached the gospel to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I watched the man walk over in the bush to this barbed wire fenced enclosure. There were many people behind the fence. It seemed that they had been captured and being held there. Well, this sounds like the many FEMA camps that have sprung up all around this country that are being set up for the rebellious Christians and others. Um most of the people inside came running over to him as if they knew who he was, and they were desiring to hear him. He spoke the word of truth to them, and many believed and repented. Amen. Many people in captivity will be repenting and, and ready to hear the good news of the gospel. I then saw the man standing on top of the highest mountain, on top of Mount Zion, uh, probably, looking down towards all the towns and places where he had traveled. And I felt that he had done everything he needed to do. Yep, he's accomplished the will of the Lord. Okay, we call this one our heavenly protection, given to Marie Kelton, eight eleven twenty two. I had an open vision of the Lord sitting next to me. He said, Eat from the hand of God. Quote unquote. He then opened his hand and I saw food in it. So we've been given this time to eat 
the bread from heaven, which is life to our soul. John 6 and 51 says, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Yea, and the bread which I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. He was the Word made flesh, right? So that represented eating the Word. Proverbs 9, 4 and 5 says, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that is void of understanding, she saith unto him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. So, um, wisdom, of course, um, is God's Word. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And this represents the body and blood of Jesus. Amen. I then saw two big angels standing by the side door with spears in their hands in the living room. I was asking the Lord about the demons that attack my mind sometimes, and one of the angels walked up to me, and I could hear the clacking of his armor, and I knew he was there to help me. Well, yes, the angels are here to minister to us in our need. Hebrews 1 and 14 says, Are they, they, that is the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation? Yes, they are constantly ministering to us. And I asked him to help me with the spirits who were attacking me. And we should do that too. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. 8 says, For everyone that asketh receiveth. And John 14 and 14 says, If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. I then saw a huge demon to my right. The angel took his spear and stabbed the demon with it. And when the angel pulled out the spear, I saw black liquid on it. I then saw two angels walking with a demon in between them. They were holding it up. The angels then stopped, and the demon was kneeling. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Wherefore also God highly exalted him, and gave unto him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and of things on the earth and of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And of course, Ephesians six twelve. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and against the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Colossians 2 and 15. Having despoiled the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. We know that Zion, as a type of the bride, will escape captivity. Some need captivity. If any is for captivity, into captivity he goeth, Revelation says. So if it's necessary and needed, that's what happens. This was Scott Davis. 
7.24.2010. I had this dream. I believe it was early morning. In this dream, I was standing in a very large city, so wide and deep I couldn't see its edges. Uh, it could be that this represents Christianity. I was looking into it from the north to the south, so I could see east, west, south, as far as I could see. I saw little off-white rectangular buildings. Off-white means not quite pure. The city was set on a hilly surface, but not mountainous. And the rectangular buildings were different in height. Some were taller, some smaller, and some were higher than others because of the hills that they sat on within the city. Well, I believe this represents different levels of maturity in the sects of Christianity. I was deep into the city, and I believe more north, when water began to rise. Now I could tell, I couldn't tell, excuse me, if the water was rising or the city was sinking, or a combination of both. But it didn't matter, as the only way to survive would be to make it to higher ground. True, this represents spiritual growth and maturing in Christ and walking in a more heavenly life above the worldly, which is where the danger is. The floor of this city was made of small rectangular stones perfectly set and arranged without cracks or imperfections. This represents the simple foundation that Jesus is the Son of God who gave His life as a sacrifice for us. Uh, describing New Jerusalem in Isaiah 54, 11-13, it says, I will set thy stones in fair colors and I will lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy pinnacles of rubies, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy border of precious stones, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. And of course, this is speaking of Zion, but um, not so tall, uh, not out of danger, is this city that he's talking about. As I looked out into the city, the water began to flood the city swiftly and steadily, filling the lower areas first. Well, the beast enemy uh, comes in like a flood with those living on a lower level coming into captivity first. I was alarmed, but not in any panic, and just began to move to higher ground that was behind me. Isaiah 54, 9-10, it says, For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah shall no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee, for the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed. Obviously, the water can do that, right? But my loving kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord that hath mercy on thee. As I turned to look north into the city, 
and moved towards it. I walked about a few feet when I saw a majestic building. It had, I had never seen before because I hadn't been looking in that direction. Now I saw this site. This building had uh, stairs that surrounded it that slowly rose to its doors. And it looked like a library, a monument, and a temple all in one. I believe this represents Zion, New Jerusalem. As I stepped onto the grounds of this building, I noticed the water stopped rising, and everything else was submerged and underwater, except for this majestic building and its grounds within the city. I was in awe at the sight and at the fact that the water stopped at the building's grounds, and then I woke up. Reminds us of revelations we've had in the past where uh, fire was burning all around Zion and it burned right up to the border and stopped. I believe this is Zion and the man-child, Revelation 11 and 1. The most wonderful thing about the dream was that I was standing at least on the building's grounds and was safe from the rising waters. Well, this looks like a Christian city with Zion in the midst. The areas being flooded is the same area the beast conquered in the Assyrian invasion of Israel and Judah, Second Kings eight eleven through thirteen and nineteen twenty through thirty seven. Well, like this wonderful building, only Zion, which represents holiness, faith, and maturity like in uh, Psalms 15 and 24 and 125, escaped. So it will be. Christianity will go into captivity, but Zion, a type of the bride with the man-child at her head, will escape. Zion is a library of the knowledge of God, a monument of witness to God and the temple of God all in one, like it was said. Praise the Lord. We call this one supernatural provision, travel. Samuel 5, 3, 20, 23. I had a dream that Tiana and I were in a car or a large van in the back seat. I didn't see the person driving. Tiana was uh, sitting very close to a newborn child which felt like our second child. And uh, David was in a far back seat in a child's seat. There was only one child's seat in the vehicle. <laughs> well, except you become as a child like David and the man-child body, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven, we're told. David and Michael were sitting with Tiana, and I was sitting across from them, and we were all together as a close group. The police then stopped us, and they saw us all protecting and caring for the baby. But since we had no spare child seat, I thought we were in trouble and going to be fined. They saw the very cute child and commented on 
how it's okay as you are all doing your very best and the police let us drive on. Well, I believe God always has favor on His righteous people and because we were in God's will, He protected us and showed us His favor through the men in police authority. Yes, that's true. He gives you favor. And Proverbs 16 and 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And Romans 8 and 31, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And 1 John 3 and 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Next, we were sitting in a train uh, with many carriages. We had all our belongings with us, and other people on the train had theirs. And we were going somewhere, but I didn't know where. People kept leaving and getting on at each train stop. (laughs) It sounds like the gospel train, right? They get on, they get off, you know. Each time the train stopped, we were witnessing to people all we could. One guy was a tattoo shop owner and did drugs and alcohol. And he was drawn to the truth and repented. And he wanted to give something to us in return. So he asked, how do we get money? And I said, God provides I used to do stock market trading, but now we live by the word. He said that he would draw an image on the back of my white shirt. I was like, okay, as I didn't want to offend him uh, by refusing his request, and it was only ink and a shirt. Afterwards, I asked Tiana what was written on the shirt, as I couldn't see it. He said, stocks in scriptures get you blessings. Amen. So stock up on the scriptures, forget the stocks. (laughs) The worldly stocks, right? Investing our lives in the word and seeking the Lord and his righteousness, he will bless in all we need to do the work of the kingdom. It's all done by his grace and faithfulness. Ephesians 1 and 22 through 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Note that heavenly places are abiding in Christ. And Psalm 37 and 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Amen. Then another guy who didn't say anything at all as we witnessed to him, and I felt he was German. He nodded a lot while both of us spake to him. He had no emotion or facial expressions, but just kept looking at us. Then after we talked to him, he suddenly got up and went to his belongings and just grabbed everything he had, which were really expensive items, 
and gave them to us. He kept going back and forth, carrying loads of items. Well, by seeking Father and doing His will, He provides all of our needs. Luke 12 and 31 says, Yet seek ye His kingdom, and these things shall be added unto you. And Philippians 4 and 19, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will. And in your weakness, He will be made strong. You know, He will meet you where you least expect it sometimes, but He will provide your needs. Luke 10 and 7, And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such as they have, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And Luke 6 and 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall they give into your bosom. For with what measure you measure it, it shall be measured to you again. So if you give abundantly, you will reap abundantly, right? So some people think they have to hold on to this for tomorrow because, you know, I could do without. But God has promised to not let you do without, right? So therefore you can turn it loose, right? The train then had a lengthy stop, and I felt I should go find bags for all these items that were just given so we could take them off the train and uh, when we got to our destination. So I asked Tiana, and she said, okay. And I was worried if uh, I left that, uh, I would not make it back and miss the train and be cut off from Tiana and David. Well, some people will miss the last train out uh, because of worrying over stuff or trying to bring it all with them. Uh, We've had dreams like that. When the doors opened, I saw market stalls, but nothing was set up yet. Uh, A great setback to the marketing of buying and selling is here. Giving giving here uh, brings it back multiplied when you need it later. So you can't afford not to give, and you can't pack it all with you, right? There were tables and and, uh, shading set up, but the workers had not yet set out any items to sell. I ran out and asked the people at the first stall if they had bags. Uh, The first lady said no, but the office does. Another lady who was like a manager said, uh, the office is this way, and pointed. I then ran to the office and said to the man there, I need bags and I'm on that train and I can't miss that train. He said, calm down. (laughs) Rest, right? Uh, It's an answer to stress and anxiety. Jesus said uh, of the flowers and the birds, how that they're provided for and they don't store up, right? And just as he said this, the manager lady came in and spoke up for me, saying, it's true, he needs them now. The man started to give me uh, paper bags, and I thought, no, I don't like paper bags. They tear and break so easily. 
Why not strong plastic or garbage type bags? Well, the people of God took what supplies they could to go into the wilderness. No doubt this allayed some of their fears so that they could go, but surely it was all gone, and faith had to bring them through. So God is like that. He's weak to the weak, you know, and uh, he may let us take some things, but down the road you're going to have to learn to walk by faith. And the best way is to give, and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, right? Just as I thought this, they found a roll of plastic garbage bags, and I reached out my wallet to pay for them and saw that my wallet had thousands of dollars in it. I had no idea how they got there. Uh, I was going to give $100 to the man for the bags, but I felt that Tiana would ask why I gave him so much. I was then given the roll for free, and they smiled. And then I ran, and I made it back to the train, and then I woke up. Well, Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. And we can do this because it will be there multiplied when we need it again, right? Amen. And everybody's going to learn this lesson down the road. Okay, we call this uh, New Jerusalem, the restoration of David's throne. I want to share this teaching with you. We read in the Bible that God always repeats history. Ecclesiastes 3 and 15, for example, that which is, that which is hath been long ago, and that which is to be hath long ago been. And God seeketh again that which is passed away. Yes, we can see that history repeats. So, what we want to study here is the biblical evidence that God is bringing again the kingdom of David. Of course, he brought it in Jesus' time, and he's bringing it again in our time. And I'd like to look at a few parallels uh, so we can learn more about the man-child and the bride in this sequence. We know that when Jesus came, uh, that was the Son of God coming in the body of a son of David. That would be the uh, man-child body in these days. As we're going to see, this was in order to manifest through that son of David his presence upon the earth, and to bring forth the covenant. Acts 15 and 14, reading down, it says, Simeon hath rehearsed how first God visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen. All right. I will return, he said. Uh, is speaking of the Lord's return. Maybe not the way man thinks, but it's the way God is going to do it. Okay. But also it says here, I will build again the tabernacle of David. So he's going to return and build the tabernacle of David. Why the tabernacle of David? <clears throat> Why not just the tabernacle 
uh, that was used by Israel since the time of Moses. He said that because he is identifying a restoration of the time of David and, of course, Jesus came as a David. I will build again the tabernacle of David, he said. Not the temple as a building, but the tabernacle. In the time of David, there was only a tabernacle, which represents the temporary mobile dwelling place of these bodies as a temple for the Lord. And also we're headed into the wilderness tribulation where a mobile tabernacle is needed. You have to move in a wilderness, right? He goes on in verse 16, And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men may seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. So this tabernacle of David is for the restoration of the Gentiles to bring them into the kingdom, make them a temple-slash-tabernacle for God, and to restore again the time of David. He's restoring everything about the kingdom concerning David, which was a type and a shadow of Christ's time and of the end time. And as we're going to see, not only was he restoring the tabernacle of David, but he was restoring a city of David. Hebrews 12 and 18. For you are not come unto a mount that might be touched a spiritual mount and that burned with fire and unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Well, he's speaking here about the restoration of Mount Zion. And this was in general to the Hebrew Christians, not just the Hebrews at Mount Zion or in Jerusalem. He tells the Hebrews in that day that he is not talking about a physical Mount Zion in Jerusalem because this text says, For you are not come unto a mount that might be touched. He continues, But you are come unto Mount Zion. Verse 22. So it's not a physical mountain that we can touch. It's a spiritual mountain made for a spiritual people. And, of course, that was the born-again people there that he was talking to. Um, We're not physical Jews. We're spiritual Jews, born-again Jews. The spiritual man is a Jew, Christ in us, not the natural man. And we have a King David being raised up over us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see that we have come unto Mount Zion, and, quote, the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that no more, no word more would be spoken unto them. Verse 19. So the Israelites told Moses, quote, Don't let God speak to us. If he speaks to us, we'll die. 
Well, that's true. That's what the Word of the Lord does. It puts to death the old man and gives life to the new man, right? So you go up there and talk to God for us, they told Moses. That was in Deuteronomy 5, 23 through 25. Well, they wouldn't touch the mountain in that time. Moses was the one who climbed the mountain. Moses was the one who received as the first fruits the glory of God. And in fact, he came down with the glory of God all over his face as he shone. And Moses even had to put a veil upon his face in order to deal with the children of Israel. The veil, the New Testament tells us, is the flesh. And Moses was glorified in spirit and soul underneath that veil of flesh. He did that because he went up the mountain, which is what? They said, we'll die. He went up the mountain and he died. And his spiritual man took over then. Right? So the Israelites didn't want any more word to be spoken unto them, and they were fearful. And verse 20 goes on to say, For they could not endure that which was enjoined. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. So the death of the beast, the old man, right? Um, the carnal life. They knew that to climb that mountain, they would have to lose their old life to enter into the presence of God because the mountain represented holiness. It represented death to self and death to the flesh. Verse 22 goes on, But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. So it represents all of this. Uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not the earthly Jerusalem everybody's looking to. No, we haven't come to that Jerusalem. We are Christians. We've come to that spiritual, heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable hosts of angels. Oh, thank God for them. So we see that the heavenly Jerusalem is being restored for the heavenly people. The spiritual Jerusalem for the spiritual people. The spiritual tabernacle is not physical anymore. It is God's people. The people who will be traveling through this coming wilderness that we call the tribulation. And that's why we need the tabernacle, because we'll be traveling through the wilderness. Verse 23 goes on to say, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect. Well, that's what this mountain represents. On top of Mount Zion is the heavenly Jerusalem. The uh, mountain represents the city in which David was king and in which the presence of the Lord dwelt. We know that Jerusalem itself represents the bride. Because John was told, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must come to pass hereafter. Four and one, uh, he was shown the heavenly Jerusalem. And Revelation 21 and 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a 
bride adorned for her husband. So there you have it. It's the bride. The holy city is the bride. And in verse 9, he, he says, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was coming down out of heaven, notice, from God, as it is today. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 3 says the same thing. That's very important because some people don't believe that Jerusalem is coming down now. We need to know that God is rebuilding Jerusalem in spirit, soul, and body because Jerusalem is the bride. And right now the bride is upon the earth. And Jesus said to the church of brotherly love, Philadelphia, which I believe was a type of the bride, uh, it was the one that was praised and not rebuked at all, uh, in Revelation 3 and 12. He that overcometh, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out thence no more. Because people do come in and they do go out. They come and they go, depending upon how much temptation they've got in the world, usually. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem. That's the city of God, the New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God and mine own new name. And we know that the word name in Greek uh, means nature, character, and authority. And here it's speaking about the nature, character, and authority of the Lord being upon the new Jerusalem, the bride. So uh, we see the city cometh, present tense. It is coming down out of heaven. It's still going to be coming at the end, down out of heaven, except at the end. The bride will have her new body, and she'll be visible to all creation as she is coming down out of heaven upon the earth. So right now, the bride is being born from above, because we are a copy of those things that are in heaven, is what God told Moses, right? The bride is being born from above, spirit, soul, but we don't see those things we see that God is restoring this Mount Zion, which is the kingdom of God on earth. Notice I didn't say body at that time, right? For 2,000 years, we've been in a falling away state, a backslidden state. God's people were taken captive to Babylon, which is false religion, false ideas about God, etc., etc., they missed out on the true gospel that they need to cause them to walk as Christ walked in the kingdom. And right now, once again, just as in Jesus' day, God is restoring the tabernacle of David. He is restoring the kingdom of God. He's restoring the new Jerusalem, which is the bride. And he's restoring the place of David as king. The Virgin Mary was prophesied by the angel Gabriel, God's chief messenger angel, 
that she was going to bring forth the fruit of Jesus. Luke 1 and 30. And the angel, that's Gabriel, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Well, in Revelation 12, we're told the exact same thing. The woman arrayed with the sun, with the twelve stars over her head, brings forth the man-child. So this is a parallel, except in our day, we're talking about a corporate birthing of a man-child because every time history repeats, it repeats with larger groups of people. This individual woman, Mary, brought forth an individual man-child. That was the type, that was the shadow, and that will be fulfilled in these days very, very soon. The woman in Revelation 12 represents the church, and she is bringing forth a corporate man-child. She is corporate, and the man-child is corporate. In other words, a group of people. Verse 32, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So, once again, we see the restoration of the kingdom of David, and the tabernacle of David, the city of David, the mountain, and now the king. In the last chapter, uh, we discovered that God was going to raise up a man-child, a corporate man-child of David in these days, and that they were to lead the bride, to be the head of the bride. Now, we know that Jerusalem was the bride, according to Revelation. We also know that David dwelt in Jerusalem and that he lived and ruled over the people in Jerusalem, which is, in general, where the leadership of the twelve tribes dwelt. In other words, a representation of the leadership of the rest of the twelve tribes was there, because that's where the seat of the government was. Uh, so, so was the tribe of Judah, and David uh, led them. He was their head. And there are many similarities between the man-child and the bride, like being caught up to the throne and all the parallels that um, they're all caught up uh, to the throne. But we also discovered in the last chapter that there are two thrones. There is a throne of David and there is a throne of the bride. In Jeremiah 3 and 17, at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. That's a big throne, isn't it? And all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord. So we see that it's also the name, right? Of course, Jerusalem is a lot bigger throne than the throne of David because we're talking about a much larger group of people. The bride is not all of the church, as some people say. We've been lied to about that because in every other place in the Scriptures, the types and shadows prove that this is just not the case. 
Are, are, do we all, are we all given the position of the bride? Yes. But do we attain to it? No. That's the problem. Okay. And as we know, Jerusalem wasn't all of Israel. There were 12 tribes that were spread throughout the kingdom, and there were the other mountains throughout the kingdom. And these were not all members of the bride. Obviously, we have to make room for the bridesmaids, the friends of the bridegroom, and all the others who joined the marriage feast, where the the groom and the bride were, right? All these other groups joined. It's all a part of it. So we see that the Lord God um, shall give unto him the throne of his father David, Luke 1 and 32. Now, wait a minute. He's the son of the Most High, but he gives unto him the throne of his father David. That means he has two fathers. <laughs> uh, we know from John that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus was the Son of God in his spirit, Romans 1 and 4 says, and he was the Son of David according to the flesh, verse 3 says. In other words, God used Mary through the seed of the woman uh, to bring forth the man-child to bring forth Christ. So, he was truly Son of Man and Son of God. And so it is also in the end time. Just as Jesus, uh, just as in Jesus' day, when God sent the Son of God into the flesh of a son of David, so it is that God once again is going to send the Son of God to earth to dwell in the flesh of a son of David. It isn't the flesh that people can glorify. It is the Son of God who dwells inside. He can use any flesh. He used a donkey once. He can use any flesh. Man gets neither the credit nor the glory. But the Son of God, who is coming into our midst, is not only coming on into his Davids, he's coming in his bride, and he's coming in his people everywhere through their ministry. Colossians 1 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But this is going to have to start from the top down, as it was in Jesus' day. He was the head, and it went on down through the body, right? And that's the way it will be in this day. He's coming as the head in the man-child. And the Scripture also tells us to see him in the mirror, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So he's telling you the means to get there, and it is to see it as done. It was done at the cross, right? And this means, of course, that as we walk by faith, we believe that we received Christ in all of His nature and all of His righteousness and all of His truth. We believe that there has been a reconciliation, an exchange, as we walk by faith and we see Him in the mirror. 
reckoning that we don't live anymore, but He lives in us. Then righteousness is imputed to us, and God brings it to pass. Amen. So, the first fruits of these, of Christ coming to be manifested in His people, is the David man-child ministry. Gabriel goes on to say, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Luke 1 and 33. And when Jesus came in a body of the son of David, that was the beginning of the time that Jeremiah 33 speaks about, when, quote, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel, unquote. Jeremiah thirty three seventeen. That was not fulfilled before Jesus came, because there were thrones that a seed of David did not sit up upon after that. And even at Jesus' time, Israel was being ruled over by the Roman Empire. But we know that when Jesus came, from then on forever, He is the one who sits upon the throne. Yes, he can use different bodies, but he sits upon the throne. Uh, The seed of David is multiplied. That's why he's able to sit on uh, on the throne in different bodies. Well, the one who sits upon the throne, the one who rules over the house of David, that's who he is that he ruled in a body of David at that time was a sign, a symbol, that he is going to rule through a body of David in our time. He says, quote, And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He's talking about David. That makes Jesus the one who is the very center of importance here. The Bible says, He that saith, He abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. 1 John 2 and 6. So we should abide in him uh, to have this blessing. And be like a a pillar that's not moved in and out, you know. How is it that we are members of the body of Christ? It's when we walk in his steps. The Lord has shown me in the New Testament that That's exactly the way everybody brings forth their heritage because we can only abide in Jesus when we walk in His steps. Different people are called to different ministries in the New Testament, and we are spiritual offspring because we have received their spiritual seed into our life. So that heritage has been passed on to us. And walking in the steps of Jesus is the only way that we can prove that we are His seed. Now, what is the throne of David? We've been told more about the throne, for instance, where the Queen of Sheba visits the son of David, Solomon, the Prince of Peace, representing Jesus Christ. Solomon is a symbol here of both Jesus Christ in his day and Jesus Christ in this day. He's coming in both cases as, quote, a seed of David. Not a physical seed of David in our day, but a spiritual seed of David. 
The seed is different in our day. It's the Word. It's the Word that recreates Christ in us, right? Amen. So, the Queen of Sheba says to Solomon, Blessed be the Lord thy God who delighteth in thee to set thee on his throne. Okay, this is important. On his throne. There is a throne of God on the earth. And this is speaking about the throne of the Lord. We think about a throne up in heaven. But we see here that God has a throne on the earth. It's a copy of the one in heaven, as God told Moses. Everything is a copy of what's already up in heaven. So to be king for the Lord thy God, because thy God loved Israel to establish them forever, therefore made he thee king over them to do justice and righteousness. Second Chronicles 9 and 8. In other words, God is going to use vessels down here as his new leadership for the church. He is delivering God's people from the Saul leadership and who died, right? And he is bringing them this time to the David leadership. And the Sauls are dying. We can see it happening all around us. This is not going to be anybody glorifying flesh here. This is going to be the Lord, once again, coming in humble flesh in order to do His work and to be the spiritual leader over His people. When Jesus came to sit upon the throne of David, the people around Him didn't see flesh being glorified there. Obviously, they expected someone to come as a king and rule over them over their flesh, but they were very mistaken. So they did not recognize nor accept Jesus, who he was. And once again, I believe that the Lord uh, is coming in humble means, not the kind of king that the world would look for. That, that, that way, uh, only humble people would recognize him. <laughs> well, notice, uh, quote, to set thee on his throne. Unquote. That term is also used here in Revelation 12 and 5. And she was delivered of a son, a man-child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. Now remember, this is the things which will come to pass hereafter. So it had nothing to do with Jesus and Mary here. The prophecy was to come to pass here after John. Okay? So now we're talking about a repetition on a global scale. Well, we can suppose that the man-child is not caught away to heaven as we think of heaven, but to heavenly places. This does not exclude the heaven either. The heaven, I would say, either. But this Jerusalem that God has restored... Uh, that Paul said the church had come to was heavenly Jerusalem. It's a spiritual place on earth. It's a mountain, a spiritual mountain called the kingdom of God on earth. And now we see that the David whom God raised up both in Jesus' time and in this time is the one in whom the Son of God lives. That David 
is sitting upon God's throne on earth. He said, He that overcometh I will give to him to sit down with me in my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. There's that big throne again. (laughs) Revelation 3 and 21. And Jesus overcame and he sat down on the throne of God, which once again is an earthly place through a spiritual place. Uh, Excuse me, though a spiritual place. It's uh, uh, earthly, but it's spiritual. The kingdom of David has been restored both in Jesus' day and in our day. And, of course, Jesus, the Son of God, rules in both bodies of the Son of David. The Bible says that the Lord will shepherd his sheep. How's he going to do that? He spoke specifically in Ezekiel 34 of David doing it. But at the same time, he said that he would shepherd his sheep. How is he going to do it if David does it? It's very simple. He's coming in David to do it. And he's coming in all of us who love the Lord and depart from unrighteousness. He is coming in us. He's coming in a first fruits to rule and to reign, to lead God's people back to the ways of righteousness and to rebuild the tabernacle of David and the kingdom of David. There's a restoration coming through the Davids. The Queen of Sheba said, To set thee on his throne to be king for the Lord thy God. In other words, this man-child leadership is coming as the seed of David, And it's going to be God in them ruling. And I previously pointed out, uh, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations, that, that word is Gentiles, shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. In other words, they're gathered unto the throne. And they, because that's their headship right there. Jeremiah 3 and 17. Jerusalem represents the name of the Lord, which is the nature, character, and authority of the Lord. So we see a throne within a throne. We see David's throne in Jerusalem, but we also see uh, of Jerusalem as the throne and also the bride. So we know that the bride is a much larger group of people than the David people, uh, as it was with Jesus. Jesus uh, was the bridegroom, and John the Baptist said those disciples, the larger group, was the bride. So this is what God is restoring. He is restoring the kingdom of David. He's restoring the bride, and he's restoring the bridegroom. Yet again, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride Jeremiah 33, 10 and 11, will be heard in Jerusalem. So John the Baptist verified who Jesus was, John 3, 25. There arose, therefore, a questioning on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou hast borne witness, Behold, the same baptizeth, and all men 
come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. There it is. But the friend of the bridegroom, that's another group, that standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. You notice that all of these different groups have to fit together. Jesus was the first fruits, but there was a first fruits unto him. The disciples John saw following Jesus at that time, uh, those first fruits unto Christ in those days who followed him out of apostate Judaism, those are who the bride was in that day. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now Jesus, who was the man-child born of the virgin, was also David as king, and all these types and shadows are coming together to show us that he was the bridegroom. David was the head of Jerusalem and was the head of the bride while being a member of the bride, because he's the head of the body, right? Okay, uh, As he ruled in Jerusalem, which the Bible says is the bride. And here we see Jesus leading his disciples, who were the bride that he was raising up and teaching as the first fruits and the head of that body. He was raising up the first fruits from out of the apostate denominations of Judaism. Once again, Jesus uh, is going to raise up a bride, and the Bible says in Song of Solomon that she's one. She's the choice one of her mother. He called her there the Shulamite, which means perfect one. He's once again raising up a body of believers that are one, not defiled with all the women that Revelation 14 speaks about. These, and I, they represent the denominations, the sects of different religious groups. They're not one. So this body of believers is not broken up into sects, divisions, or strifes, which Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 was the work of the flesh. Denominations are works of the flesh because God prayed that they may be one as we are one. That's what Jesus said. And once again, God is bringing together a bride out of the apostate denominations of Christianity, just like it was with Judaism. The history repeats. And that's parallel to those in Jesus' day who are coming out of apostate Judaism. God is doing his awesome work again. Once again, we're about to see the bridegroom guiding the bride, raising up the bride, being the head of the bride. Who is that bridegroom? It is Jesus Christ coming to fellowship with his bride in another seed of a son of David because history has to repeat. Uh and which was what Solomon represented in the seed of the son of David, right? He was the prince of peace, Solomon peaceful, right? He was the prince, 
the son of David, the prince of peace. So remember that Jesus, John, and Paul all spoke about a great falling away that would immediately follow those days in which Jesus raised up the kingdom of David on earth again in Acts 15. What does a great falling away mean? It just means that when they were walking in the power of the Spirit, in the truth of the Son of God, in repentance, and all the things that we call the full gospel, there were quickly uh, coming a backsliding, a carrying away to Babylon. This is according to type. All through the Scriptures, when God's people backslid, their city, Jerusalem, was destroyed. And this happened following the book of Acts, where it talks about raising up the tabernacle of David. All right, here we go again. So not very long after that, in 70 A.D., uh, natural Jerusalem was destroyed. Spiritual Jerusalem was destroyed, too, where they departed from the spirits of just men made perfect, in Hebrews 12 and 23, our text. And as he called it, right? They fell into the dark ages, and there was a falling away of the power of the truth, a falling away of the power of the signs and wonders, and of the full gospel in the people who were in, who were his bride. The people in our day who are members of the body of the bride are going to look just like those people who followed Jesus. There won't be any difference. Jesus is coming again to restore all things that have been taken from us over the years, according to Joel chapter 2. He's going to restore, once again, the kingdom of David. He's always been king on the throne over his true people, but now he's going to restore the kingdom of David on earth. Now let's look at Jerusalem. Excuse me, let's look at Jeremiah again. Jeremiah 33 and 10. Thus saith the Lord, yet again there shall be heard in this place. He's talking about Zion in Jerusalem, right? Whereof you say it is waste without man and without beast, even in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast. So God is going to restore that city. He's bringing his people back to his born-again city, because the city is the bride. And that city will be born spirit, soul, and body, just like the individuals who make up the body of that city. It's going to be restored spirit, soul, and ultimately body at the end when they see the Lord Jesus return, because that's where they get that new body. You're you're getting a born-again spirit and soul here and you're about to get at the end this born again body so we see here in jeremiah that after a time of falling away a time of destruction of that city god is going to restore it verse 11 the voice of joy and the voice of gladness the voice of bridegroom and the voice of the bride the voice of them that say give thanks to the lord of hosts for the Lord is good. Amen. 
So the Lord is very plainly saying that once again in this city, these things are going to be heard. These things are going to be seen. How is it that the voice of the bridegroom is going to be heard? The bridegroom is Jesus Christ. So how is his voice going to be heard? His voice is going to be heard because he has come once again in the body of the man-child, the son of David, and the bride, which have come out of the denominations, the sects and the apostate teachings of Babylon. They're coming back to Zion. Babylon uh, represented a falling away into captivity, an apostasy, and now they're returning out of that apostasy to the true Zion, which is returning to the Word, returning to the gifts, returning to the giver, and returning to the presence of God. And the presence of God, His temple was in Jerusalem. It wasn't in Babylon. And once again, in these days, this is what God is restoring. He's given me a vision of it over over the years. And now we see that once again, the voices of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in this city. Not only that, he also promises us this, verse 12, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet again shall there be in this place, which is waste and without man and without beast, and in all the cities thereof, a habitation of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. Yes. Once again, we're seeing the parallel. The bride and the bridegroom the shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. Then he goes on to talk about the restoration of the kingdom of David in our day. And the rest of this chapter is about is all about the shepherds that he's raising up called the branch. That's in Jeremiah 23. They're called the new shepherds that God was going to promote over his people and they're called the branch there also. And here in Jeremiah 33, uh, he speaks about the branch of David in verse 15. The corporate name of this body of the branch of David was called the Lord our righteousness. Notice, our, meaning, of course, that it is a corporate body. You see that? A corporate body. Up until the time that Jesus came, the following verse was never fulfilled. Verse 17. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the son of David. He has come once again in a man-child in order to raise up the house of Israel and now there has always been a David because Jesus, from generation to generation, is the head over his people. He is the eternal son of David, and so David shall never lack a man to sit upon the throne of Israel. So Jesus ruled through all of the men. And again, that didn't get fulfilled in that day because that line was broken. It's going to get fulfilled in the sign of David being raised up today. There have been good shepherds who ruled according to Jesus, the Word, in their hearts. 
As we've seen, thrones can be very corporate in the end time. Uh, we discovered in Jeremiah 3 and 17 that all Jerusalem is a throne. That's a big throne. And it's also called the bride. So we know who sits on that throne. And when he says, He that overcometh, I will give to him to sit down with me in my throne, Revelation 3.21, what do you think that means? Some people think, oh, it's just talking about a throne up there in heaven somewhere. Well, it can't be, as you can see. Yeah. But no, there is a very present manifestation of this because the bride is going to sit down next to the groom on the throne. And who is the groom? The groom is Jesus Christ manifested in his sons of David in this day. God is raising up the kingdom of David again. I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. Jerusalem, the tabernacle, the king, he's raising it all up. It is a spiritual thing. And uh, it's not physical because we don't pass on our seed the way natural Israel did. Our circumcision is of the heart and not of the flesh. Our seed uh, is the word of God. Romans 2 and 29 tells us, once again, we see that David will forever rule upon his throne. It doesn't matter what vessel he uses uh, to do that. Jeremiah 33 and 20. Thus saith the Lord, if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, so that there shall not be day and night in their season, well, notice here. As long as there is night and day, God is never going to break his covenant to have a seed of David upon his throne. Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-one. Then may also my covenant be broken with David. So in other words, if the sun and the moon don't work. <laughs> uh, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he shall not have a son to reign upon his throne. And with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, and the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sands of the sea measured. So so will I multiply the seed of David, my servant. You need a big throne, right? Uh, and the Levites that minister unto me. Well, notice that he's going to multiply the seed of David to sit upon the throne, to be a new leadership and a head to the bride. Esther is a really good example of the bride who represents Jerusalem being used by the Lord to save the rest of Israel. The capital city of God's people is Jerusalem. So we see here that the same thing is coming to pass. Here is a very interesting passage about the uh, Jewish marriage feast. This is what I was saying would prove this. The Jewish marriage feast. The marriage feast, by the way, is mostly on the earth. And this is from Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible under marriage. Page 97. And now I'll give my comments in the midst of it. The, the bridegroom was the king for a week. That was the marriage feast. Okay. 
And this is talking about the last week, Daniel's 70th week, because the marriage feast was the last seven days before the bride and groom went to the groom's home. Aha! So, where is the groom's home? Well, it's in heaven. The last seven days are the most important seven days, or seven years, as each one of these days in Daniel's 70th week represents a year. Daniel 9 and 27, a Shabuah, a seven, or a week, a week of years. But the last seven days are very prominent because the last seven days that God's people were in Egypt were called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And now, once again, we're coming to a seven-day-year marriage feast, which is the last seven days before going to the groom's home. And the last seven days of unleavened bread before they leave Egypt, a type of the world. By the way, only unleavened bread can bring forth the fruit of Christ in you. And he warned them to not have any leaven in their houses in that seven days, or they would be cut off from the people of God. Exodus 12, go and read it. Now, here we go. We're getting ready to start the days of unleavened bread. As soon as the man-child is birthed, we're going to start the days of unleavened bread, where you can only eat the true Word of God in order to bring forth His fruit. As you know, in the parable of the sower, uh, three out of four didn't get there. So during the last seven days, the Jews also celebrated Sukkoth, which means tabernacles. So the last seven days also represent seven days in a temporary tabernacle before they tore it down, literally, and went to their permanent home. And that was on the seventh day, I mean on the eighth day. And that's what happens after the tribulation. There's a day called the day of the Lord, and it's the day that the Lord takes his people out, right? They're going to their permanent home. <laughs> We're also going to our permanent home. God has given us a permanent body. This body is just a temporary uh, tabernacle that we're walking in now, and we'll only have it until the end of the seven days. Then God is going to give us that new tabernacle. So this last seven days is very important, although the Scriptures, all through the Scriptures. In fact, all of the feasts have something to do with the end times. Okay, continuing with Zondervan's revelation there. The bridegroom was the king for a week. Okay, this is the seven-day marriage feast. Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation. And this time it's seven years. So during the whole week, their majesties wore their festal clothes as they obviously sat upon the throne and did not work and merely looked on at the games except that now and then the queen joined in a dance accompanied by his, that's the bridegroom, friends. There's the friends of the bridegroom. John the Baptist called himself the friend of the bridegroom. And by the way, the friends of the bridegroom are not the bride. As everybody says, the whole thing is the bride, the whole church. No, you're seeing all of the church broken down into all these parts of this marriage feast. 
with tambourines and a band, they went to the bride's house. That's on earth. Where is the bride's house? We know that the groom's home is in heaven. So we know that the bride's house is here on earth. Where is the bride now? Here on earth. She is being born from above, spirit, then soul, and then ultimately body, right here on earth. So the wedding party goes to the bride's house, quote, where the wedding ceremonies were to start, unquote. The ceremonies went on for seven days, representing seven years. Quote, the bride, richly dressed, adorned with jewels, usually wore a veil which she took off only in the bridal chamber. The veil represents several things in 1 Corinthians 11. The veil represents a woman's submission to her husband. But a veil also represents not being able to see this husband clearly until the certain time. Isn't that something? In the other, in other words, they're going to the groom's home, and at the very end, she is able to see clearly, without a veil, what the groom looks like. <laughs> uh, quote, escorted by her companions, the virgins, they're her companions, they're not the bride. Uh, the virgins are not the bride, but the virgins have a part in the ceremony at the end. Quote, they take their lamps at night, usually very late at night, unquote, like the parable of in Matthew 25 says. And, quote, they escort the bride and the groom to the groom's home. That's their part in the marriage ceremony. The home is obviously in heaven, okay? So, this is what we see. Uh let me explain here that the bride during the time of the marriage feast is betrothed to the husband. She has all the rights of a wife except she has no personal contact with the groom. The bride during the seven days of the marriage feast is a story of the book of Esther. The book of Esther is all about her exercising her authority over the beast and over the people of God to deliver them in a time when the beast was seeking to wipe them out. So this is, that's that's what's coming, you see. That is an awesome story that uh, we could study later. But, but the bride has all the rights of a wife who is the queen and who is under the authority of the groom. And she will exercise her authority in the same way Esther exercised her authority uh, uh, to save the people of God. And, and as Jesus sent forth the bride uh, into the places, they were saving the people of God from their beast, right? Mordecai said to her, Who knoweth whether thou art not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther 4 and 14. What time was that? It was the time to save the people of God from the beast. We have a surprising thing that's about to happen. Purim is a celebration of events being turned around. The beast, Haman, uh, and his whole body, he was just the head of a body, right, was going to destroy all the people of God, 
and he had raised up all of his kingdom to do this. Yet the authority was given through Esther the bride to all of the people of God to make a stand for their life. Many of the people of the kingdom under Ahasuerus became Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. And we're talking about a great revival of people coming out of the world and becoming members of the body of Christ, becoming God's people. The whole story is in the book of Esther from beginning to end uh, of a great revival and a saving of God's people. So we have the idea of nothing but a massacre uh, during the tribulation. Well, there will be a massacre of a lot of people. And some are tares, and some are wheat, and some are goats and uh, uh, among the sheep. But of the true people of God, the ones who are actually spiritual Jews, we're going to see God's salvation manifested in many powerful ways. Uh, they stand for their lives. He will deliver his people in a time much like when Moses came to deliver God's people out of Egypt with great manifestations of God's power. Moses represented the man-child in his time, and Jesus and David in their times, and Joseph in his time. And so we see that more than one man-child has been manifested to bring the knowledge of God's salvation. And when Jesus led the bride, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, right? He led them into the knowledge of God, for instance, such as the knowledge of provision in the wilderness, when Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves, and he told them they should have done it. <laughs> it was because he led the bride into the wilderness, like Moses led Israel into the wilderness, and there they received the supernatural provision of God. There's nothing to fear about these days to come. The Lord is sending a leadership. He's sending the power to multiply the fishes and the loaves and for manna to come out of heaven. And Jesus said that he was that provision from God. He was the manna, which actually is translated man in one place in the Old Testament. He was uh, the man who came out of heaven, who gives life to the world. Uh, Moses was a provision in his day. So don't worry about the time to come. Um, put your faith totally in the Lord because the Lord is raising up a provision and the man-child is the beginning of that provision that is going to be passed on to the bride and that is coming very shortly. So the authority of the bride, which is a much larger group of people, uh, obviously, Jesus was one, but the disciples were the bride, right? A larger group of people. Uh, it's going to be felt throughout the world. And the fear of the world, as they see God's provision and his angels round about his people, his protection will come upon them so that many of the people of the world are going to want to become Jews. They're going to want to become Christians in the coming days like it was in Esther. And we have a great revival coming, uh, the things that are going to be turned around. Many have thought that the only thing we're going to see is a massacre. But I, but I have news for you. 
the Feast of Purim is going to be fulfilled. And the best way to do it is, um, well, in another parable, eat the lamb, eat all of the lamb. Christ in you is not under the curse, right? So the great celebration of the salvation of God's people from the beast, that's what Purim is all about. Uh, it was a great surprise. Many people read uh, that, and they wonder, how does that fit in with all the terrible things I've heard about in the times to come? Well, we need to put our faith in the living God. If you don't have faith in God, the devil will take advantage of you. He will be able to conquer you. If you believe what the devil says, what your carnal mind speaks to you constantly, uh, he is able to take advantage of that. And you're giving him permission to rule over you. What we have to have uh, is a renewed mind. We have to take up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts and the destruction of uh, what is coming. So, we have to, we're going to see very shortly the man-child caught up to the throne. And that is for the purpose of leading the woman through the wilderness like Moses did. Leading the woman through the wilderness, teaching, providing, etc. And he's also demonstrating how each and every person can also walk in the steps of Jesus. If you say uh, that you abide in him and you don't walk in his steps, that's a liar. That's what we're told. So, uh, we're here to walk in his steps. Jesus is growing in the earth. The man-child and the bride are his first-fruits tools to begin this growth in the rest of the body. All of the body has to come into 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit of Jesus Christ. All of the body. That's what we're here for. Some people think we're just here as a spectator sport to watch everything well to a certain extent that's true we're watching the people who go first the first fruits and we keep our eyes on them and watch and we see how it's done because the fruit is born and it and it uh, is proof of who jesus is in his body and so uh great days are coming we don't want to lie about that massacres are coming too how would you like to escape the massacres? Did they in the book of Esther? Yes, they did. And so uh, we're called to escape the massacre. If you don't bear fruit by the time the massacre gets here, or you don't bear enough fruit, the only way you're going to enter the kingdom is through a massacre. You have to lose your life to gain your life. If you've lost your life by the time this massacre comes, you don't need to die again. Uh, death is uh, just a prelude to resurrection life. And death to self is what we need entering into the tribulation. The people who are dead and partaken of the resurrection life of Christ are not going to die again. The last enemy to be overcome um, is going to be that beast and that harlot 
that's in the body of Christ. I mean, the last enemy to be overcome is death. It's not the first enemy to be overcome. We have to overcome the beast and the harlot in our lives in order to come to the last enemy and conquer it, which is death. That's what the Bible says. See, everybody thinks, oh, we're just going to all fly away. You can't escape death. You either die now or you die later, but you have to die. (laughs) I'm talking about death to self. So, the last enemy, not the first enemy, they, they think they're going to overcome uh, at the beginning of the tribulation and fly away, escape death. No, it's the last enemy to overcome. We have to overcome this flesh. We have to overcome, by the grace of God and by the promises of God, this flesh. We are here to die to self. And in our death to self is when we're overcoming death which is the last enemy. We see the ark at the end lifting off. Those are those that are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. The rest of them don't need an ark, right? So they are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. What does that mean? It means they've overcome death. Everybody that went below the water died. Everybody that was above the water was lifted up, right? So, People have um, doctrines that are destroying them, destroying their motivation to walk with the Lord. And soon, um, the man-child and the bride are going to go forth with a great anointing to bring to the rest of the church um, the truth that will make them be overcomers. They haven't heard the gospel. They haven't heard it. So, uh, we know that we behold in a mirror with an unveiled face. We behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So, on our time, in our time in this earth, we are to behold that we have arrived by faith in what Jesus did at the cross. We were crucified with Him. We don't live anymore. He lives now. We went down in the waters of baptism to put the old man to death, and the one who came up was Jesus. We don't live. He lives. And the waters of baptism are the Word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get the Word of God down in your heart. It will put to death what is in you, which is the old life, the old mind, the mind of the flesh, it will put it to death. It's a baptism. Um, swimming through the water, the water of the Word is a baptism. Going down under the water of the Word is a death to self by using the Word of God. When you change your mind and you believe the Word of God, guess what dies? The mind of the flesh. Oh, glory be to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your real gospel, that your people are going to know it in the days to come. Thank you that the man-child is almost here. And shortly thereafter, tribulation starts. 
And, of course, the man-child is to lead the people of God through that wilderness to the promised land. Hallelujah! The promised land. And, of course, those that don't believe, they will die in the wilderness. And those that do believe will go to the promised land in their bodies. Notice, Joshua and Caleb were a type of that. They went into the promised land in their bodies. The rest died in the wilderness. And a lot of people will die in the wilderness who haven't arrived at that hundredfold fruit of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we're pointing at. Forgetting those things which are behind, we press forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for waking your people up in these days. It's about to happen. A man-child is going to be the beginning of a great awakening, and the bride is going to spread out uh, over the earth and, uh, and, and replicate everything Jesus gave to them. Amen. All right, saints, God bless you and keep you. We'll do this again another day. Good night. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.